I am Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, we're going to continue with our historical mentor series, and I'm going to be highlighting some key truths that I've learned from the life of Elizabeth Elliot. She's more of a recent Christian hero and someone that I have really looked up to and been so inspired by through the years, through her books, through her messages. So I'm excited to unpack some of those key truths for you today. I also wanted to put a plug in for our Daily Thunder podcast that we released through Ellerslie. We've just completed a really powerful series called Spiritual Lessons from Black and White America, and And this is a really challenging series and yet so encouraging and life-giving, kind of a deeper look spiritually at the times in which we live and what the Christian response should be. There's also some other amazing series on the Daily Thunder podcast, so we encourage you to look at that, and I'll link that in this podcast description. Also, if you are looking for a season to go deeper with Jesus and to become grounded in truth, I encourage you to look at our 2024 Ellerslie Discipleship Program so you can join us for a week or for a five-week program, and it's really life-changing and so grounding in faith and in the Word of God. Again, you can click the link in this podcast description or just go to ellerslie.com for more info on our 2024 programs. Let's take a look at the life of Elizabeth Elliot. I really was impacted by her in my teen years, and I remember a couple of really key moments that stand out to me. I heard her speak at a leadership conference, and I don't really remember all of her message, but there was one statement that she made that I constantly think about throughout my life to this day, whenever I'm going through times that I really have to stand strong and stand firm, even when those around me may not understand the decisions that I'm making. She said, loneliness is a required course for leadership. I used to look at loneliness as a bad thing, something that I needed to shy away from and avoid at all costs. And in today's world, we're really pushed toward that whole idea of community and relationship and sharing everything with everyone. And of course, community and healthy relationships within the body is of great value in God's kingdom. But I think we often overlook the value of seasons where we are lonely, where we are isolated. And you think about Paul before he began his ministry, he went to Arabia and he was just completely isolated and not integrated with the body of Christ because he needed to have his foundation in Christ alone before he was really ready to step into being sort of a father of the faith to all of those early churches. And Moses was sent to the backside of the desert to live in obscurity before God called him to lead the nation of Israel. And so a lot of times God will take us through seasons of isolation or loneliness or just dependence on him where we don't just have tons of people around us who understand us and we can debrief with and we can talk with because he wants us to find our strength first and foremost in him. And I've learned that throughout my life. Loneliness is a required course for leadership. It doesn't mean God wants us to live our entire lives in a season of loneliness, but we also shouldn't shy away from them or be worried about a season of loneliness because it is a season that can drive us closer to Jesus Christ and give us that spiritual strength, that spiritual backbone that is required when God has called us to influence others for the glory of God. So since my teen years when I heard that quote, that is something I'm always reminded of when I feel alone or I feel that there aren't really people around me who understand me or appreciate who I am or whatever it might be. I always go back to that quote and realize God has a tremendous purpose and he's strengthening me in seasons of loneliness. 
Another thing that impacted me about Elizabeth Elliot in my teen years was the book that she wrote about Amy Carmichael, who's also one of my Christian heroes. Elizabeth Elliot was very impacted by Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India, and all of Amy's books and messages began to intrigue Elizabeth when she was a young girl. And then she wrote Amy Carmichael's biography, and that was one of her first books that I read when I was about 17 years old. There was a quote that she wrote about Amy's life in that book that actually became the vision behind the set-apart ministry that God put in my heart. And it was a quote that said this, the preoccupations of 17-year-old girls, their looks, their clothes, their social life, don't seem to change much from generation to generation. But in every generation, there are a few who make other choices. Amy was one of the few. And just the fact that Elizabeth Elliot observed that in Amy Carmichael's life was so significant to me because it's easy to write a biography and just kind of go through the facts and what they did and what they accomplished. And she was really able to pick up on the spiritual depth that represented who Amy was. And at 17 years old, Amy had a life-changing experience with God and no longer was preoccupied by the things that everybody else was caught up in. She chose to live differently. She chose to live completely dead to the world and its applause, completely for the glory of God. And And when I heard that phrase, in every generation, there are a few who make other choices. There are a few who choose to live set apart for Christ. There are a few who choose to pursue Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It so moved me and so stirred me, not only for my own life, but also became a vision that I wanted to impart to other young women in my generation. And that really is where the vision for Set Apart Ministries began in the first place. And so Elizabeth Elliot has had an impact upon my ministry, even from the time I was a teenager. Elizabeth Elliot also personally lived out several aspects of the gospel in really powerful and significant ways that have impacted me throughout my life. They're very foundational truths that she lived out, but the way she applied them is very unusual today. A lot of times today, we live in a Christianity where people are kind of trying to do the bare minimum that they can in their relationship with Christ. Elizabeth Elliot was not like that at all. When she read the Word of God, she applied it to her life in every facet of her life. And she had a very no-nonsense approach to the gospel. If God said it, if it's in the Bible, this is the reality by which I'm going to live. And I'm not going to let the noise of the culture and my own emotions and all of the excuses that the enemy tries to throw at me, I'm not going to let those things stand in the way of my pursuit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's something you see in all of her books, in all of her messages. She wasn't a flowery person who's bubbly and gushy and emotional. You know, as far as women's conference speaker, she was definitely very blunt and very straightforward. And she rubbed some people the wrong way, but I always found it very refreshing to listen to her talk. But I want to highlight three specific principles, three specific ways that she applied gospel truth to every facet of her life. And the first one was this. She understood and embraced the crucified life. Now, we don't hear much about the crucified life in modern Christianity, but it means dying to self. It means laying down all of our own rights, all of our own pursuits and plans, letting go of our own agenda, and completely surrendering to God's agenda. That's the crucified life. And we all know that scripture where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And yet very few of us go deep into what those words mean, let alone apply those truths, those words that command to our daily life. 
When Jesus says to deny ourselves, that actually means to forget ourselves, to put self out of the way entirely. And that is what I see in Elizabeth Elliot's life, not only when she was younger, but all the way through her life. One of the prime examples that you can see her applying this to is her romantic life. And she wrote a book called Passion and Purity that I read when I was a young woman. And she talked about her relationship with Jim Elliot when they were getting to know each other as friends at Wheaton College as they began to realize that they had an attraction for each other, the way they handled that was so different than the way most young couples today would handle attraction. Usually what you see today is people find each other, they realize, hey, we have a lot in common, hey, we're attracted to each other, and they just dive headlong into a relationship, kind of making prayer and seeking Christ and surrender Either it's non-existent or it's definitely an afterthought. But Elizabeth Elliot made that her primary. She was not the kind of girl that had guys just chasing after her all the time and pining after her. She describes herself as kind of tall and awkward and gangly and sort of awkward socially around guys. So she wasn't really the type of girl that tons of guys were flocking around. And yet Jim Elliott was one of the most popular men on the campus and all of the girls were attracted to him. And so when he began to show interest in her, most girls would say, wow, you know, I don't have, I don't seem to have a lot of guys interested in me, but here's one of the most popular guys who really has taken an interest in me. Why would I shoo that away? And yet her immediate attitude was one of surrender. I do not want to pursue him unless I know God is telling me to pursue him. I do not want to distract him from God's purposes for his life. And this is something that she wrote in her book, a good and perfect gift, these natural desires, but so much more than necessary that they be restrained, controlled, even crucified, that they might be reborn in power and purity for God. For us, this was the way we had to walk and we walked it. Jim seeing it his duty to protect me and I seeing it mine to wait quietly, not to attempt to woo or entice." How many young women do you know today who make that conscious decision to say, okay, there's this man I'm very interested in, he's interested in me, but I'm going to wait quietly, not attempt to woo or entice him because I don't want to distract him from the purposes of God in his life. And where did that motive come from to wait quietly? It came from that crucified attitude. I want my desires to be crucified. I want to deny myself, take up my cross and follow Christ. And if God wants to give this back to me as a gift, that is his business. But the first thing I am going to do is surrender it to him. And that decision led to waiting on God before they pursued a relationship, not just for a month, not just for a year, but for actually five years while they sought God's direction and they lived in that place of surrendering that relationship back to God. They were committed to each other, but they were careful to guard their emotions and not pursue anything more than a Christ-centered friendship until God showed them otherwise. And that road was narrow and lonely, and yet Elizabeth and Jim both understood the difference between self-focused love and a God-scripted love story. Another really powerful statement Elizabeth made about this time in her life was this, a man's love for a woman ought to hold her to the highest. Her love for him ought to do the same. I did not want to turn Jim aside from the call of God to distract his energies or in any way to stand between him and surrender. That is what I understood real love to mean. Purity comes at a high price. Sometimes the sacrifice makes little sense to others, but when offered to him, it is always accepted. 
This was such a different love story from the whole idea of just do what makes you happy approach that we see all around us today. A lot of the common questions that swirl around modern Christian relationships didn't even come into the picture for Jim and Elizabeth Elliot because they were so focused on the glory of God and the crucified life he had called them to live and not just satisfying their own selfish whims. And that act of surrender actually prepared them for a much greater act of surrender that God would be calling to them on the mission field in the future. There's a very powerful documentary where Jim Elliott's story, Elizabeth Elliott's story is featured along with the other missionaries who were in the middle of that drama in Ecuador where five of the men were killed with the attempt to reach the Aka Indians, also known as the Warani people, with the gospel. And probably a lot of us know that story, but there's a scene in that documentary where they're interviewing Elizabeth Elliott, and she's probably in her mid to late 70s at this point. And she was recounting the story of when she and Jim were first deciding to fully surrender their romantic relationship to God. Before they were ever even in a serious relationship, they just both knew that if God would allow them to be married, they wanted to be married to each other. But they took a walk one evening and they were talking about needing to keep the relationship in God's hands and not sort of take it back and do what they wanted with it. And she said they happened to pass by a graveyard and they sat down on a bench in the middle of this conversation and the shadow of the moonlight was reflecting on one of the gravestones that had a cross on it. And so right between them was the shadow of this cross. And as she's talking about the story, she said it was so symbolic of what God was asking us to do. And she was getting choked up and teary-eyed, remembering the story that happened to her way back in college, and here she is in her 70s. So I think it's really beautiful that that, those seeds of living the crucified life, of living in that place of total surrender, started at an early age and continued through the rest of her life. And of course, after they were married, when God finally did give them the go-ahead to get married, they had a child, and yet they knew that either one of them might lose their life because they had a calling to reach the unreached for the glory of God. So they were in Ecuador, and Jim and some other men wanted to reach a group of people who were deep in the heart of the jungle that had never been reached. And in fact, they were known as some of the most violent people in the entire world at that time because they would just kill anyone who came into their territory without asking questions. That person would get speared to death. And sometimes they would even venture outside their territory just to kill seemingly for no reason at all, just for the pleasure of killing. And so they were very, very dangerous. And here's this young bride with a little baby allowing her husband to go to these people where he very likely may never come back again because she was living that crucified life. She had such a surrendered heart saying, God has given me the gift of this husband, but the glory of God is my highest priority. And if he has called us to reach these people, even if my husband loses his life, I lay that on the altar because God knows best. And we know that we're in the will of God. She describes in the documentary, Beyond the Gates of Splendor, how she saw her husband, Jim, that day that he went to go make contact with the Alka Indians, and he sort of bounced, and he was so excited, and he kind of raced in the door, gave her, you know, gave her a quick kiss, said goodbye, and because he was so exuberant that he was going to have the opportunity to possibly reach these people with the gospel. And she said that she had the very clear thought, I will probably never see him again. And yet she had already laid that on the altar. She had already decided that if God wanted to take her husband, she would surrender him to him. 
And that, to me, again, is astounding. But those seeds of surrender, that foundation of the crucified life that began when she was in college, that began before her relationship with Jim even happened, was carried over into her married life. And Jim Elliott did lose his life in trying to reach those people with the gospel. And she was left a widow. Her child was left fatherless. And yet she did not become bitter against God. She had a complete peace and confidence that God still had a purpose in taking Jim. And it was a couple of years later that she and one of the sisters of the other men who was killed, they were able to go into the tribe as women who had lost people dear to them. And they were able to express a message of forgiveness and pave the way for the gospel actually to get to those people for the first time. So she was part of that redemption story because she was willing to surrender her husband and live that crucified life. Not to mention the boldness and the courage and the surrender it would take to go to a group of people that were known as some of the most violent and cruel and unpredictable people in the world and take your young child along as well. And that to me is a truly astounding picture of a surrendered life. Another principle that I've been very impacted by Elizabeth Elliot's example is that she was not ruled by emotion. And she's one of the few women I can really point to and say she was not ruled by emotion because so many women are. And it's just very, very tempting to let our feelings lead our actions and our thoughts and our decisions. Most of us treat it as completely normal to let emotions lead. And yet she was very purposeful about letting the Spirit of God lead and putting emotions in their place under the control of His Spirit. Now, emotions in themselves are not wrong, but they must be governed by the Spirit of God. We must learn how to be led by God's truth rather than our feelings. And we can't measure our walk with Christ on feelings. A lot of us do that. And so if we feel distant from God, we assume that He's not there, He's not, He doesn't care, He's not answering our prayers. Or we're tempted to base our spirituality on whether we cry and get emotional during prayer times. And if we don't, we think, well, that wasn't, I didn't really feel anything. I didn't really draw close to God in that prayer time. We can't measure God's faithfulness and his promises on our feelings. We need to reckon his truth as fact and command our feelings to agree with it. Being led by emotion is very dangerous, and I think Elizabeth Elliot really knew that, and that was why she was so careful to keep her emotions in check and not let them take over. It says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Our emotions can so easily deceive us and lead us in directions that are not the direction of truth. It says in Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Now, trust in that verse means to place our confidence in, and our heart means our feelings, our intellect, and our will. So if we place our confidence in our feelings, we are being foolish. We are walking the way of the fool. But there is a solution to being led by emotion, and this is what I see so beautifully illustrated in Elizabeth Elliot's example, the principle of Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And trust in this verse means to place our confidence in. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Elizabeth Elliot had an experience just before she and Jim were married where she had just some devastating losses on the mission field. An entire year of translation work was lost in a very bizarre way. And yet she had this rock solid trust in God that no matter what happened, even if it didn't make any sense to her, that she was being held in the hollow of his hand. And she 
always testified to his amazing faithfulness, even when things didn't immediately make sense to her or appeal to her feelings. There are two really powerful quotes and statements that she made in different messages or books that have impacted me and reminded me not to let my feelings lead my life. And the first one is this, obedience to God is always possible. It is a deadly error to fall into the notion that when feelings are extremely strong, we can do nothing but act on them. Wow, that is, as Amy Carmichael would say, a scorching word. It is very convicting because it is so easy to think, you know, my feelings in this situation are so strong, I have no choice but to act on them. And she's saying no obedience to God is always possible because of his grace, because of his enabling power. And then another book that she wrote says this, the difficulty is to keep a tight rein on our emotions. They may remain, but it is not they who are to rule the action. A life lived in God is not lived on the plane of the emotions, but of the will. And that really enunciates the way that we can be free from being ruled by emotions. We don't live on the plane of the emotions, but of the will. We choose to obey God. We choose to trust God, no matter what our feelings say. And our feelings eventually begin to agree with what our will is stating. Our feelings do not need to control us. We can command our feelings to change and to align with God's truth. I love the example that we see of this in Psalm 42, where he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Here is someone who is dealing with negative emotions and discouragement and unsettledness and anxiety, and he is commanding his soul, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. And that is such a great reminder, and that is what I see consistently in Elizabeth Elliot's life. The third principle that I've already touched on a little bit is that Elizabeth Elliot was not afraid of loneliness. And I think about the five years where she was waiting to know if God wanted her to be married to Jim. She didn't date around other guys in that time, and I'm sure it was very tempting to feel lonely and discouraged because she didn't have a man in her life and she desired to be married. And yet she didn't fear those seasons of loneliness because she knew that God was using them to draw her close to him and to strengthen her for whatever purpose that he had for her her life. And even after she became a widow, I'm sure she struggled tremendously with loneliness. After Jim's death, when she went to live among the Warani people, she was living very isolated from regular culture, the culture she was used to. And she was living in this very primitive group of people where she had like this little hut up in a tree and she was like sleeping in a hammock and had this little fire pit in her house. I mean, of course, no modern conveniences. And she also had a young child with her. And she just describes in some of her messages about what it was like being so cut off from civilization way out there in the jungle like that. And surrounded by a group of people who didn't even speak her language and that she knew could turn violent at any time. And she didn't fear being isolated because she knew she had the power of God on her side. We should never forget that Jesus is our all in all. That's what it says in Ephesians 1, 23. And he is able to completely, perfectly, absolutely fulfill every single need that our hearts will ever have if we allow him to. Now, again, that doesn't mean that a desire for human companionship is wrong or that God wants us to just live our lives in a state of isolation or loneliness because that's somehow more spiritual. Relationships with others are an amazing gift from God, and they are an important part of our calling as Christians. But it's easy to forget that when we have Jesus, we have everything that we need, whether we're in a season of plenty of relationships around us or very few relationships in our life. 
Paul's secret to being content in all situations was expressed. I have learned the secret to being content in every situation, whether in plenty or in want. That doesn't just apply to finances, but to every area of our lives as Christians. And I really believe that when we grasp that truth, there's no need to fear times of loneliness because we have him. If we are going to make an impact on this world as Elizabeth Elliot did, we have to stand strong in our convictions, in our obedience to God, whether or not others understand or approve us. If we've learned how to be at peace standing on our own before God, we will be far less likely to compromise in order to win social approval. We have to let go of the fear of man and be willing to stand alone even if no one else stands with us. And one of the ways you see this later in Elizabeth Elliot's life is that she was not afraid of speaking boldly what needed to be said because she wasn't afraid of standing alone. And she spoke truth so straightforwardly that I think it shocked people a lot of times, but it was exactly what the church needed to hear. But she was one of the few people who was willing to just speak it so straightforwardly. And I really admire that about her. And I think it really came and was an outflow of her decision to embrace seasons of loneliness rather than shun them and push them away. One of the things we can know in seasons of loneliness is that we learn complete fulfillment in Christ. If we're single, we often think that we'll be happy once we get married. If we're married, we often think we'll be happy once our husband changes and becomes more sensitive, or we think we'll be happy once our circumstances change. But we have everything we need for perfect happiness right now in Jesus Christ. And I've seen that in Elizabeth Elliot's example in whether she was married or single, she had that kind of contentment. Loneliness also teaches us to go to the right source for strength. As I've said in other podcasts, we often think that we need to vent our emotions to someone or share our struggles with our girlfriends in order to really have them validated. But the example of Jesus is that he went alone to a mountain to pray, to be with his father. And that is how he processed what he was going through. And so often I think we turn to people instead of that intimacy with Christ. And if you listen to Elizabeth Elliot's messages, you'll hear how she did that in so many different seasons of her life where she only had Jesus and she clung to him. So here are some takeaways from this amazing woman's example. And again, I'm just highlighting a few key things that have personally impacted me. But if you dive into her books and her messages, there are so many more amazing truths that she just so beautifully articulates. But the takeaways from this episode would be embracing surrender. Our flesh always resists embracing that crucified, surrendered life. And yet it always leads to fulfillment because it leads to God's perfect purposes for us being fulfilled. And Elizabeth Elliot went through some very hard things in her life, having her first husband martyred. I think her second husband died of cancer and all sorts of, you know, criticism and misunderstanding from the body of Christ because of her bold stand for the gospel. And yet she was a very joy-filled and fulfilled woman in Christ. And you see that so clearly throughout everything that she testifies to his work in her life. Secondly, choosing truth over emotion. If you just take your day-to-day life, are you being led by your emotions? Are your emotions driving you? Or are you willing to submit your emotions to the truth of the word of God and say, this is my reality. Whether my emotions agree with it or not right now, I am choosing as an act of my will to agree with what God says and then command my emotions to come into alignment with that reality. 
reality. And then not being afraid of seasons of loneliness, not being afraid to stand alone, to walk in obedience to Christ, to not have to have the applause and the approval of others in order to walk forward in what God is calling us to. We have everything that we need in Jesus to take those steps forward, even if we don't have a big cheering section of people saying, yeah, you're doing the right thing. We have the applause of heaven. So those three principles are things that God is constantly deepening in my life. They're not things that you just kind of learn one day and apply one day and then you're done. These are things that as a woman, you are constantly having God deepen them in your life. But I just encourage you to look at those three areas and dive into some of Elizabeth Elliot's books and messages because you'll see those themes as well as many other really powerful themes and be just encouraged in how you can apply these gospel truths to your practical day-to-day life. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into living a set-apart life for Christ, I invite you to visit our website at setapart.org and see the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.